Hi kids, I'm glad that you are back at church today. I look forward to the day when we're able to get back together and be able to do kids church like we did before. But for right now, this will have to do. And today I'm going to talk to you about uh, Mark. And Pastor John is going to be talking about the book of Mark. So I am going to talk about that as well. Now let me ask you guys a question. What do you do when you're sick? Well, one thing you probably do is you probably get some rest. You probably, to help you feel better, you might even take some medication to help you feel better if you're, if you're feeling sick. You might have some chicken noodle soup, might help you feel a little better. If you're really sick and not getting better, you might even go to the doctor and the doctor might give you more or a different type of medication or might send you to get some other tests done to see what is wrong with you. And if you're really, really sick, you might even have to go to the hospital for a few nights. But have you ever gone to the doctor and they say, you're better now, go home, and then you stood up and felt instantly better? Probably not. If you did, that would be a miracle. Now, speaking of miracles, this is what Jesus did when he was here on earth many years ago. Sick people would come to him all the time from all over and they would ask him to heal them. Some people had been sick for many years and some people had been sick for their entire lives. All it took was one touch from Jesus and their sickness was all gone. You see, Jesus is so powerful. He can do absolutely anything. He can heal people. He can tell demons they have to leave. He can make food multiply so it doesn't run out. He has the power to do anything at all. Now let's go over today's verse. So today's verse is this, Mark 1, 15. Jesus said, the right time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Change your hearts and lives and believe the good news. I'll go over that one more time with you guys. Try to remember it over uh, the next little while while Pastor John is talking, uh, and we'll see if we can remember this verse. Mark 1, 15. Jesus said, The right time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Change your hearts and lives and believe the good news. Now listen to Pastor John and see if you can answer the following two questions. One, what did Jesus come to teach? And two, what did Jesus do? Uh, if anyone else wants to help out with one of those things, please talk to me afterwards, uh, and we'd love to be able to give you a chance. So, talking about the book of Mark, the section of the Bible I'm reading from first here is, uh, we're going from Mark 1 to Mark 2, verse 12. And I kind of reading through the whole book, I think that this was a good logical section to, to chunk a message out on. And I think that uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about preaching here and, and what that means. And so I think that we can better understand a topic by going through multiple parts of the Bible. So if I were to preach on worship, for example, that it would be a lot easier for us to understand worship if we were to jump around and pull different scriptures in context, but jump around and pick out these different things. And so that's called topical preaching, go figure. But I wanted to spend some time going through Mark, and the goal here is to understand 
uh, not just what is being said, but specifically what Mark is trying to teach us. And I think if we go through and just read the book and read it over and over again, that we can start to understand exactly what Mark is pushing. And that's called exegetical preaching. And that, that word exegete uh, in the Greek, it literally just means to draw something out. And that's why I like this idea of the, the whole movie plot hook thing, is if you're paying attention, there's little dips, little things that get said that alert you to what's actually going on. So I think if we go through the book of Mark, that we're going to understand some extra stuff that Mark wants us to understand. So I'm going to jump through a whole bunch of stories, going through uh, Mark 1 and a little bit of Mark 2. And we'll have some of the scriptures on the screen, but I'll be telling most of the stories, and I'm just highlighting important parts. So the first is in Mark 1, uh, verses 4 to 8. And Mark jumps right into it. Some of the, some of the gospels, like Luke, goes through the, the birth narrative. Matthew goes through genealogy. John goes through an extended theology on, on Jesus' origins. And Mark just jumps right into it. He's right into the stories. Mark's like the action-oriented gospel. And he starts off with talking about John. And John was someone that, in the, in the Bible, fulfilled a previous prophecy where it said uh, that I'm sending someone ahead of me to make the path straight. And John identified himself as that. He said, I'm one coming and declaring in the wilderness, make the path straight for the Lord. And John is... Uh, kind of the forerunner to Jesus. He comes into the picture, and he's the person that God is speaking through and telling Israel something new is happening. So pay attention. And I want to highlight specifically Mark 1, verses 7 to 8. We'll have it on the screen. And this is John. And it's saying from Mark 1 that this is John's message. It says, and this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I will baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so there's no mistake here. Mark's launching into it with a really big lead up. He's saying, pay attention. Someone really powerful, someone worthy of honor is coming next. And John sets the bar really high. In the Gospels, it said, Jesus says about John, he says that there's no one who has come in history that is greater than John. He says that. And we're talking about Moses. We're talking about Abraham, Elijah, all the prophets. Jesus says John is the greatest person who has come until this moment. And John is saying, this person who comes next is so powerful, I am not worthy to even untie their shoes. And in the context of the culture, that, that was a slave. A slave would untie shoes. And John's saying, I'm not even good enough to be his slave. So Mark's setting a really, or John is setting a really high bar here. He's saying, someone's coming next who is really, really important, and I want you to pay attention to him. And then after this, Jesus comes to John to get baptized, and John recognizes who he is, and he says, you know, shouldn't you be baptizing me? And Jesus says, no, we're going to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then when, in, again, Mark 1, verse 11, after Jesus has been baptized in the Jordan River, it says this, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And so this is right after the baptism of Jesus, going into the, the trials and temptation in the desert. And here's a second time where the, the gospel of Mark is saying, this is a big deal. Now, I want you to understand something here a little bit culturally. 
that this whole God speaking thing in this spot was a huge deal because culturally and historically, God had stopped speaking to Israel for hundreds of years, that there hadn't been any prophets sent, there hadn't been anyone like that sent for hundreds of years. And so prior to this story, we understand from the, the Gospel of Luke that the Holy Spirit starts speaking. He speaks to the shepherds. He speaks to Mary. He speaks to, to other people. He speaks to Joseph. But here, Mark's highlighting that in the presence of many people that God spoke. He said, you're my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And so many of these people may not have ever heard the voice of God, and their grandparents hadn't, and their great-grandparents hadn't, and their great-great-grandparents hadn't. And so this is a really, really big deal. That Mark's piecing together this narrative about Jesus, that he's coming in power, that God is behind him, and that God is beginning to speak to his people again. And we miss that if we just read through it. We're like, oh, that's interesting. Because especially now, when we, when we have this idea that God speaks to every one of us, at the time, that was not the case. That this was a special thing, and this was powerful. And so Mark starts off, and he says, you know, this is what Jesus came to do. And this is Mark 1, verses 14 to 15. And so John gets put in prison, and there's a whole story behind that. But then Jesus starts going through Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. And this is 14 and 15. 15 says, The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And sidebar, this word good news is what we use for the word gospel. And it's just as simple as that, that this gospel of of Christ is good news for us. And so if anyone asks you, here's a scholarly thing. If anyone asks you, what's the biggest thing that Jesus came to talk about? Maybe not what's the biggest thing he came to accomplish, but what was the biggest thing that he came to teach? This is the answer. The kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe the good news. Everything that Jesus does, everything he teaches, all points back towards this truth. And it leads people towards this understanding. This thing that Jesus came to make us understand. So again, summarizing what Mark is pushing through one, that someone's coming with power. They're important. God is behind them. God is speaking again, but that not only is God coming and speaking to people, but he's bringing a kingdom. And then Jesus begins to show people what it means to live in this kingdom. And I want you to to keep your ears open a little bit on this one, because I think here is where we start to misunderstand a bit. And I'm going to focus on the healings because Mark focuses on the healings. For the first, especially in chapter one, he goes, and Jesus taught. But then he gives details on the healing. So Mark's focusing on the healings. We're going to focus on the healing. And so in Mark 1, verses 21 to 28, Jesus drives an impure spirit out of a man in a synagogue. And Mark just jumps right into it here. Luke starts with the birth story. Matthew starts with the narrative. John starts with theology. And Mark gets right into the, here's the healings. So I think if we understand what's going on with the healings, we can understand more of what Mark's teaching. And Mark mentions that Jesus was teaching. He points out at one point that people were amazed with him because of the authority that he taught with. But Mark wanted to not just say that Jesus had authority. He wanted to prove Jesus' authority. And so in this story, Jesus encounters a man who is possessed by a demon. And it's this really spectacular de- uh, display. The demon starts shrinking, or starts shrieking. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
And I've had an experience in the past of praying for a person who was demon-possessed, and it very much does match up with this picture of what's in the Bible, shrieking and hysteria, and it's, it's crazy to watch. And Jesus commands the Spirit to leave this man, and the Spirit does. And in Mark 1.27, it says, the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. And so this guy with the impure spirit, it says specifically in the text that he was in the synagogue. And so he was maybe a regular attender of this synagogue. That maybe the, the synagogue had to have put up with this guy for a little while. And so they know it's a spiritual thing. They recognize that it's an impure spirit. And Jesus comes in, he teaches them, and this guy just starts going bonkers. And Jesus just commands the evil spirit to leave him, and it does. So this caused a lot of people to just look at each other and say, what is this? There's that question, who is this Jesus? And then in Mark 2, verses 1 to 12, and I'm going to hover on this story a bit for the rest of the message. Jesus forgives and he heals a paralytic man. And this is a great story. This is a story where Jesus is meeting in the house and there's so many people who have come around because they've seen the miracles, they've seen the healings, and there's so many people who are coming around him and, and wanting more of this. And so there's these four friends and they bring their paralytic friend on a mat and they want their friend to be healed. And so they bring him on a mat to see Jesus. But the house is all full, so they climb up on the roof, and they dig a hole through the ceiling, and they lower him down. And I, I, I would have loved to see what that looked like. If someone's trying to get so hard to get in, they're literally digging a hole through a wall or a ceiling. I don't know if it would have been easy. I don't know what houses were constructed of back then. I like to believe it was hard, and they worked at it for a bit. And so Jesus sees this man. He sees the faith that his friends has, and he has compassion on him, and he says, your sins are forgiven. And then the, the teachers of the law, they really get upset at this point. They go, who can say this? Who has authority to say this but God? And Jesus respond, responds with, you know, what's easier for me to say? Your sins are forgiven. Something you can't recognize and verify. Or get up and take your mat and walk. But I want you to understand that I have authority to forgive this man's sins. So I tell you, take up your mat and walk. And the man walks out healed. And here's this concept again. So repeatedly through the first bit of Mark 1 and Mark 2, you hear some variation of this phrase. What is this? In Mark 2.12, it says, He got up, he took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. And so through Mark 1 and 2, we're seeing this constant idea of what is this? Who is this? And Mark wants us to ask that question. But... Is there something about that that maybe we missed? We're going to hover on that idea for a sec. We have a second kids video that we want to show. <laughs> Did you guys pick up on the fact that Jesus has authority? What does authority mean? Well, it means being the one in charge. The one who gets to give the orders and people need to obey. So, for example, a queen might be someone 
who has authority. Now, Pastor John talked about a whole bunch of stories in Mark in which Jesus had authority. He had authority to cast out demons. He had a, That means if he told them to do something, they had to listen to him. He had authority to heal people. That means if he told the sickness to go away, it had to listen to him. He had authority when teaching in the temple. That means that what he taught, he knew what he was talking about. So who has authority over us? Well, our parents have authority over us. Our teachers have authority over us. And our government has authority over us. But the most important authority in our lives is Jesus. Jesus has authority over us. Jesus has authority over our parents. Jesus has authority over our teachers. Jesus has authority over our government. He has authority over the angels and demons. What Jesus says goes, or it should go. Not everyone listens to authority, but God has called us to be different than others and to listen to those in authority. So what do we do? A lot of people think about Jesus as someone we, who should listen to us. So we pray and we ask God for something and God doesn't say yes. And we say, well, I prayed. Why isn't God answering my prayer? But instead, we should be saying, what can I do for Jesus? Just like we need to obey our parents at home and our teachers at school, we should also be obeying Jesus with our lives. So now that we're asking, what can I do for Jesus? Let's go over our verse one more time. And it says, Mark 1, 15, Jesus said, the right time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Change your hearts and lives and believe the good news. So what can we do for Jesus? Well, to start, just what the verse says, change your hearts and lives and believe the good news. Now let's listen to Pastor John and write down all the ways that Jesus has authority. And so I talked about that hook and here's what I think it is. And so my, my second point going into this is that Mark wanted us, my first one was that Mark wanted us to ask this question, who is Jesus? But my second point is that Mark also wanted to teach us something that we don't automatically understand the right thing. And Mark wanted us to understand about Jesus and who he was, but there was a strong warning here about misunderstanding who he wasn't. And that we need to check our assumptions. And that's why I wanted to hover on this story a bit. I believe it's where Mark shows his hand, so to speak, where the plot twist is. And we've seen this first chapter about how uh, Jesus can do the miraculous, how he can heal people. And one of the biggest questions nowadays is, you know, does, Je does Jesus still heal? Can we pray and still see healing? And I do believe absolutely that he does. But it's couched in this different concept called authority. And so what Mark was really trying to show us was not how powerful Jesus was. But that was a part of it. But what Mark was really trying to show us is how much authority Jesus had. 
And if we go back through the stories, that he commands the evil spirit to leave, and it does. That with the paralytic man, he forgives the person's sins. And so this is a really popular story, and Jesus has already done a lot of healing at this point. But there hasn't really been a lot of focus on teaching through Mark 1. It's been a focus on healing. And you have this story of these men, and they bring their friend to be healed by Jesus. That's what they were going for. They were bringing him to be, for healing. But how does Jesus respond? In Mark 2, verses 5 to 7, he says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And so Matthew, this story, he puts it nine chapters in. And Luke starts off with this one. He puts it right in chapter 2. And in this story, there's a pivot. Mark talks about how much Jesus heals, but in a story where it seems like someone's really seeking him out for healing, he turns around and he forgives the guy's sins instead. And people have been watching Jesus heal. He was in Capernaum for a while. That's why the house was all filled up, because they'd seen him healing so much. And he was drawing very large crowds to himself. And when he said, your sins are forgiven, they took offense at that statement. And in Mark 2, 8 to 11, Jesus replies. He says, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, take up your mat and go home. And this key word here is authority. And it seems like Mark's been talking about how powerful Jesus is, but he's really been talking about how much authority Jesus has. And that's what the healings demonstrate. They don't demonstrate to us, I want you to hear my heart here, they don't demonstrate to us what we can expect to get out of Jesus. I want you to understand me here, that while that's true, that we can expect that Jesus heals, he's not healing people to show, we can just go to him and say, heal me, and he's going to do it right away. That to Jesus and to Mark, he was healing people to show, I have authority, and you need to listen to what I have to say. In the Gospel of John, it calls the healings signs that they were demonstrations of something. And here Jesus' authority extends even into forgiving sin. And I believe that Jesus knew what he was doing here, that he, he did this with a purpose, that he forgave the man's sin, knowing that people were going to respond this way so he could back it up with power to demonstrate his truth. But when the Jews saw Jesus, they saw someone who could heal them. Jesus taught for sure, but up until this point, people were only really being wowed by his miracles. That's why I like what Catherine said so much, that we approach Jesus, we see the miraculous, we see the power, and we approach Jesus and say, now what about for me? But that's not the point. The point is the authority. Mark here is saying, you're starting off on the wrong foot. Look at the power, but look at the authority behind that power. You need to understand that this is Jesus and his authority, how high up the food chain he is, so to speak. And the people miss it in their day. And the truth is, I think we miss it in our time as well. We define Jesus and his work through how much he can do for us or how much he's done for us. If God heals us, it's either because he's merciful 
or because we've earned it. And now with a lot more experience with Jesus than the people that Mark, uh, the people in Mark's gospel had, with a lot more experience, we see in all the different ways that Jesus can heal and all the different ways that he's going to do things for us and this intimate relationship that we can have with him, I think we run the real risk of missing the point of why. Because remember, what's the big thing that Jesus came to teach? Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Well, if Mark's real point is about authority and not just power, what do we think Mark is trying to remind us about Jesus? That Jesus is bringing a kingdom and that he is a king. That Jesus isn't a battery. He isn't a power source for us to draw on to get the stuff done that we want to get done. That he's a king. He comes with his own agenda, his own kingdom, his own rule, and that we need to live in light of that. And I want you to understand something practical here. I talked about how we were doing this this exegetical preaching, and I've done it before, but uh, a funny story was I, I wanted to talk about why I didn't like exegetical preaching by default. And then I cut the story out and I'm like, no, that's irrelevant. But then in our Bible study, the pastor started saying the exact same thing. So I'm like, maybe I should keep that in. So one of the reasons, not that I don't like exegetical exegetical preaching, I love it. But one of the reasons it can fall short is because it becomes just about information conveyance. It becomes just about you saying, you know what, I know more than I did before. But Jesus came not just to teach, but to change lives. And so when I'm going through and exegeting the book of Mark, it's not my goal that you understand more. It's my goal that you do more. That we learn what it means to serve under authority. And I think even Jesus tried to do that. If you read through Mark 1, you see he heals a a demon-possessed man and he tells him, don't go tell everybody. And then he's speaking to a demon, and the demon starts talking about who Jesus is, and he commands him to be quiet. Why is he doing that? Because he doesn't want people to misunderstand up front. It says in Mark 1 that the man he healed walked around and was telling people freely, and because of that, Jesus couldn't enter towns because he was getting mobbed for healings. He wants us to be very careful that we don't understand the foundational point, or we don't miss the foundational point. And I want to be clear, this isn't about gaining secret knowledge. This is about building a right foundation. And I believe we can have a great spiritual, found, a great spiritual breakthrough by backing up and restarting our perspective on this idea that Jesus is the king of the universe. We're entering his kingdom, not into a party where it's all about gifts and what we receive. We were talking this morning about all of the, the in-home parties that have been going on in Marathon. I won't name any brands, but... It feels like everywhere you go online, there's at least 19 different people that are having some kind of party. And when you go into that, it's like you're going and expecting to receive things. You're hoping to win things. But Jesus is saying, I'm not, I haven't called you to a party where I'm giving out stuff. I've called you to a kingdom. And you've got a part to play. We continually ask Jesus this question, what more can you do for me? And Mark wants us to start asking, what more can I do for you? And the great thing about this is that we can start wherever we are. It doesn't matter how long we've been serving Christ. I'm going on, I think, 18 or 19 years of being a Christian. I've passed that half of my lifeline, which is an important thing for me. I think it was last November. And, but when we back up and we learn to really understand what it means to say, Jesus, you are my Lord, 
we've lost a concept of what that means. We use it as, as a spiritual word. But Lord is saying, you know, he's the king over our whole life. And that expects something from us. And that's what Jesus calls us into today. He's asking us to let him into our lives, not just as Savior, not just as healer, but also as king. As an authority. And we'll come to understand this through the rest of the book of Mark, that Jesus isn't a king like other kings. That I'm standing up here and saying that Jesus is asking us to serve, but we can't outserve the king. He is so much better at it than we are. That he doesn't exist to make a kingdom of slaves purely to profit him like what exists nowadays. Jesus lays his life down as a king. Jesus gives his power out as a king. Jesus does everything he can with his authority and power to win us back from death. And just before we get into uh, the song, I just want to invite... Nelson and Glenda, if you guys want to stand up. I asked them before, I said, is it okay if I do this and I don't really care what your answer is? Because I'm going to do it anyways. <clears throat> so this is Nelson and Glenda's last service with us. And you're not leaving next week. You're leaving the week after, right? And you're going back to Newfoundland. And I told them this morning, I said, I've noticed this about everybody with Newfoundland. Us Ontario people, we don't have this concept. It doesn't matter how long you've been gone from Newfoundland. For all the, the Newfoundlanders in here, what do you call Newfoundland? Home. home. <laughs> Ontario, we don't have this concept. I was born in London. I don't call London home. Here is home for me. But pe like Newfoundland is such a beautiful place. I need to go there once because everybody who, you could be gone 100 years. And you'd be like, yeah, home is over there. That's a great illustration of faith too. You know, our home is always on the other side. So I just wanted to take a moment and pray for you guys. Uh, you two have been uh, incredible supporters through the years that uh, you were on the board when I got hired on here as a pastor and I counted you as, as a great support, uh, a great friend through all of that. And uh, your, your humility and your reach has been felt through the whole church. And I'm sure you're very proud that as you're looking at me that your daughter's right behind me <laughs> leading worship. And... You know, they say your kids are like the greatest testimony of that. So we just want to take a moment, pray for you as a group, and say, uh, you have to come back at some point to visit. <laughs> Shauna told me she's going to cry. Maybe if we like pan the camera over a little. <laughs> it's hard enough being on camera online, being on camera online while you're crying. <laughs> Sorry, you're going to hate me for that. <laughs> But we just wanted to take a moment and say thank you so much for what you brought to this church. Thank you so much for what you brought to this community. And uh, you leave a great spiritual legacy that I know your hearts and I know your perspectives. And I know that you'll see great joy in seeing it continue and come to fruit and grow and seeing the next people step up and take that position too. So I want to encourage you on that as well, that you're leaving a hole, but your legacy will still be followed. People are still going to step up and want to join in that, that work that you guys wanted to start. So we're going to take a moment and pray for you. I just encourage you to stretch your hands out to them. We're going to pray for success. Yeah, so why don't we stand? And we'll just reach our hands out to them and pray for them. And if you want afterwards, 
uh, as, as we're all leaving and going out into the parking lot, just stop them and say hello. We've got to do the distance thing. It's unfortunate, but we can still talk to each other. <laughs> so let's pray. God, we thank you so much for Nelson and Glenda. We thank you for their faithfulness. We thank you for their humility, God. And we know that they did all the things that they did, that they served in all the ways that they served, uh, not to get anything out of it, God, but to prosper your kingdom. God, we thank you for their great servant hearts. And we, we trust in your word when it says that they are storing up treasures for themselves in heaven. <clears throat> and so we pray that as, as they go on to Newfoundland, uh, into the house that's being constructed, that looks phenomenal. Uh, we just pray that you'd remind them that the house they're going to now is nothing compared to the house you have prepared for them. And so we just want to lift them up to you. We say thank you so much for their hearts and for their lives here. And we pray that you'd help us to, to continue those bonds, that we'd be able to see them again at some point as a visitor. And, uh, but we pray that as we go there, that I don't know if uh, they're going with some intention of, of relaxing and taking it easy, but we pray that you'd continue to use them. Because we know that that's what's really in their hearts. We pray that you'd continue to use them to make a difference in the worlds around them. And we pray that as uh, we meet again uh, in the future, and even at the end of time when we meet again before the throne, that we'd be able to see and hear great stories of what they do as they go. And so we thank you so much for them. And we pray you'd give them blessing upon blessing upon blessing. In your name we pray. Amen.